Welcome to another week of Latter-day Conversations with Cade and Mike here with you today. So, um, you know, we don't usually follow up on any previous episodes, Cade, but I did want to make one quick note um, on something that we discussed last week, which was the line of how to talk about temples. Um, I just saw that the church published a video about the Washington, D.C. temple, and they, they showed all the rooms of the temple and talked about each of the ordinances in there a little bit. And I thought it was a cool example where they're, they're actually being pretty lucid about the um, things we do in the temple. And I thought it was good. I don't know if you saw that or not. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I've seen multiple posts from different apostles, too. Uh, they've been sharing that quite a bit. And they even uh, I, it was on uh, NBC or, or CNN or something like that that they broadcasted just kind of a little run through of the temple, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool. So they're definitely being open about that. So just to follow up on last week. Um, so we'll put the link to that in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. But today we have got three new questions that we're going to be discussing today and we'll see where they take us. But I'll start off by asking Cade the first one. So here we go. While, while it is surely speculative, will Christ come in the next few years? Have the signs of the times occurred? Hmm. So this is a very, very good question. And I feel like I've heard a lot of people talk about this. And I think a lot of the reason of this is there's a lot going on nowadays. I mean, there is a lot going on. Um, I mean, from the moon turning red to, uh, I mean, you, you name it, war, rumors of war, uh, pestilence, famine, all of, all of, all of these giant disasters. Um, that are prophesied to happen before the second coming of Christ have pretty much occurred. Now, that being said, um, I've heard quite a few people speculate to the degree that they think that Christ will be here in the next year or two, which surprises me a little bit. Uh, the only reason I say that is um, prior to his coming to the world, we, we know that there's uh, actually multiple comings of Christ. So it's not just one big old second coming in the way that we always kind of refer to it. But for one, we know that uh, DNC talks about how he'll come and visit his people in the temple, right? So this uh, will be over in uh, Missouri area, likely in Jackson County, right? Indep Independence. Um, so for that to first occur, we actually have to have a temple there. Uh, and if anyone's kept up on the news and stuff, uh, this is actually a, a long-awaited thing that's been going on for a long time. But the long story short is that we do not currently have the uh, – we don't own all of the property on which the cornerstones were placed back when Joseph Smith um, consecrated that unto the Lord. Uh, so so first and foremost, I th that's one of the things that does have to happen. So my speculation would be, well, it's probably going to be – at least a good little bit for that. And then after that, we'll have a, a big old meeting over at uh, Adam on Diamond, where Christ will come and visit uh, at the very least those who hold keys and likely the rest of the faithful saints. And then furthermore, he'll come and visit in the Mount, at the Mount of Olives. So, so while this obviously is a speculative uh, kind of a question, and there have been many, many signs that have occurred, uh, it's my feeling that we have a little bit of a ways to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, Cade. Um, I think this is an exciting topic and maybe that's why it gets the hype and the excitement that often leads us to premature predictions of the, the date, which have already happened. And those dates have passed, you know, like uh, the year 2000, uh, that made sense in 2013 or 2012, you know, with the Mayan calendar ending and all that stuff. Um, you know, there are lots of ideas and books out there that people use to, to cite these predictions. And I think ultimately we should always be ready for that day to happen today, right now. But if you're following the scriptures, I do agree with you, Cade, that there are some events that must happen sequentially um, before the comings start. So um, like you referenced, there is the second, second coming appearance that will be in the temple um, of Zion of the New Jerusalem uh, in what is it, Jackson County, Missouri, or is that where the, the temple grounds are for that? Yeah, yeah, over in Independence area. So, you know, that's that's got to happen. <laughs> and um, maybe it possibly could happen at a different temple or in a different way than we understood, possibly. But I think that's how it's going to happen. And then there's also the appearance of Jesus Christ to the Jews, where he's going to show them, show to himself to them. And they're going to be like, what are these marks in your hands and feet? And he's like, I'm Jesus Christ. And they're going to be really sad. 
Um, and then there's going to be maybe even a third appearance after that, which is the main second coming that I think a lot of people uh, think of and possibly with the rapture event and uh, a lot of other associated events that we, we think of when we hear the second coming of Jesus Christ. So there are events that have to even happen before the first one of those, like the, there's a period of time called the times of the Gentiles that we are currently living in. And during this time, it started when the restoration happened. And uh, DNC 45 talks about the times of the Gentiles and what has to happen for it to be fulfilled. And anyway, that has to end. And then the time of the Jews starts. And there's a lot of um, events that have to happen. And so is it going to happen in the next couple of years? I highly, highly doubt it. Um, if you've followed some, you know, YouTuber or podcaster that's, you know, riffing on some new theory of how it's going to happen next week, those come and go all the time. So be really careful. <laughs> Trust in just one person's theory. <laughs> um, I, I know, Cade, you probably heard of like the Ezra's Eagle uh, interpretation from the book of Ezra's. Um, there are those kind of things you hear about and, you know, look into them, but uh, don't follow just one person's theory. Uh, look into it and do the research. And so, yeah, I think it's probably going to be at least probably 20, 30 years or more. Who knows? Possibly. <laughs> Ah, I hate to say it, but possibly hundreds of years. Uh, what do you think about that, Cade? I, I think that's a, I don't know. It, it's almost sad, but, but that's exactly where I'm at as well. It, while everything is kind of seemingly going to crap, I, I think there's a few things we need to recognize. First and foremost, it's going to continue to, to grow progressively worse and worse uh, in society. Everything is going to deteriorate, but that doesn't necessarily take away the, this faith and hope that we ought to have. There are so many incredible things that we will experience during this period of, of uh, awaiting the return of Jesus Christ, right? Um, and, and just like you're saying, I, I personally don't believe that it'll be in the next probably 30 or 40 years. I don't think it'll be any sooner than probably the next 50 years, uh, likely with, uh, things going the direction that they are. Uh, but that being said, it's, it's a very exciting time. I mean, we have a lot to look forward to. <laughs> there are so many cool events and cool things that, uh, are going to, and will happen. I, I believe, uh, and and President Nelson, one of President Nelson's talks in I want to say 2018, I think, but he, he even talks about how Jesus Christ is going to perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again, right? That that we're going to start seeing these miraculous indications that that God is our heavenly Father and that Jesus is the Christ. And he, he I, I remember he stated that we will see more powerfully that they do preside over this church in majesty and glory. Um, and so it's, it's really exciting. And, and that being said, just like you were saying, I think that there are quite a few speculations. I've, I've heard many people go into, you know, the, the book of revelation and, and start finding numbers and subtracting numbers and multiplying them and, and speculating that by this year or that year, that's exactly when, when Jesus will come again. And I, I think while you might be able to profit little from that, um, I, I wouldn't bank on it. I would, I would say more accurately, the best way to prepare is just like you said earlier, prepare every single day. If, if you aren't ready today for Christ to come, uh, you probably won't be ready when he does come because in, in a real way, there's going to be so much chaos going on to a degree that if you're not uh, constantly preparing, you're not even going to recognize the changes in the times until he does come. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, you know, and if you look at the scriptures and you're digging in them and you look at how they talk about the coming of Christ before he's, um, comes even among the Nephites, um, they talk about it in a sense that makes you think like it's going to happen the next day, even a hundred or 200 years before it's going to happen. They say he's going to come soon, you know, and the, and the wicked will be burned to stubble and, um, beware of that day. And it's like, what, why are they, why are they talking like this? It's still, you know, 200 years out with the Mosiah's people and stuff. And so I think we got to put things into perspective. Um, God sees things in long-term and rarely does he ever work in these short-term time intervals that we're used to. Um, usually when it's talking about a short period of time, it may be several hundred years. Um, you know, I think you've probably noticed this a lot because I know you dig into early church history, Cade, but the early saints uh, really thought the second coming was imminent. They thought it was going to happen in their lifetimes for sure. And 
you can see that in their writings and especially in their interpretations of uh, the scriptures. Like I was reading one of uh, Orson Pratt's quotes and he was talking about the, the last days and the times of the Gentiles. And he interpreted the saints being kicked out of the, the Eastern States and coming to Utah as the fulfillment of the times of the Gentiles. He said, they've rejected us. They've rejected the full light of the gospel. And now the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled and we're going to go to the next sequence and Christ is going to sh- suddenly appear in his temple. Uh, but apparently not, you know, apparently 200 years later or, you know, not that quite that much. Uh, we're still in the times of the Gentiles and God has brought about a great work. There have been many, many more Gentiles who have converted to the fold and become the covenant people. And Orson Pratt didn't, you know, probably foresee that so many people, more of the Gentiles would be converted. So, uh, you know, God has his plan and his ways of how it's going to lay out. And uh, so anyway, I just thought it was interesting how much of those early saints thought it was really going to happen like in the next year, right? Cade, you probably saw that all over the place. Oh yeah. Especially uh, one of the things I've recognized is after Joseph Smith left and, 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 you know, moved on to the next uh, realm, that uh, Wilford Woodruff, when he became the president of the church, he was very millennial minded. And, and it's something that I think is a con- constant pattern. And, and like you had mentioned already that uh, I, I know my grandparents, they went through a phase in life when everyone thought it was going to be in the next couple of years. And, and I think that's what we'll see multiple times throughout the next little while. But as we pay attention to what's going on, I, I really believe that uh, we'll, we'll see some interesting things and we'll enjoy some awesome experiences. Um, one of the interesting things that I have read, actually going through church history, let me just get this pulled up. But yeah. um, I know I know modern prophets and apostles. I believe M. Russell Ballard has spoken about uh, the second coming. He's like, you know, I don't know when it is, and if I don't, none of the and none of the other brethren have said that Christ has revealed anything to them, right, uh, re- regarding this thing, and nor does he expect it to. Uh, but I, I did run across a quote by Joseph Smith actually that I found quite interesting that I, I thought might be interesting to some of you. But Joseph Smith says, uh, Christ says, no man knoweth the day or hour when the Son of Man cometh, uh, quoting Matthew 24. And he says, did Christ speak this as a general principle throughout all generations? Oh, no, he spoke in the present tense. No man that was then living knew the day or the hour. But he did not say that there was no man throughout all generations that should not know the day or the hour. No, for this would be a flat contradiction with the other scripture for the prophet, Amos 3.7, says that God will do nothing but what he reveals unto his, uh, what He will reveal unto his servants, the prophets. Um, and I just thought that was kind of an interesting quote that I, I came across from him. Uh, essentially hinting at the fact that Possibly the prophets and apostles, when that day does start coming more near, will know when he will return. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I had an institute teacher that uh, was really heavy on that concept. He, he taught it um, that, yeah, the, the righteous people will be able to know and discern that, and especially God's disciples. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I find no problem with that, and I kind of like that interpretation. I, on the note of speculation and, and that same subject, I know, um, who was it? Quentin L. Cook, I think, uh, hit on this point, but in, in third Nephi or fourth Nephi in the book of Mormon, after Jesus Christ had made his appearance to the Nephites, the people began to live the law of consecration. All things were common among them and they were righteous. They had, you know, they walked with Christ initially and, um, lived in a very righteous manner as a society. Um, for 200 years. And then it says at the end of that, that in the 201st year, there began to be prides among them and contentions, and um, they no more had their substance common among them. And this was a big hinge point among the Nephites, the 201st year from that time when Christ appeared. And Quentin L. Cook drew the parallel of us with the restoration. He said, it is now, you know, in the year 2020, that is 200 years from the time that Christ appeared to Joseph Smith and the restoration began. So I think you could maybe draw some parallel there that this is the 201st year hinge point when there is some, you know, kind of apostasy and members of the church become prideful and start falling away. And I think definitely we are going to see some heavy apostasy and waves of apostasy among the church. When I look at some of the members today and some of the blogs they write and the things people get into, supposed active members who have temple recommends, there's no way they're lasting. This, you know, the criticizing the brethren, 
um, there's no way they're going to last that there's going to be waves of apostasy, I think. And, um, there's going to be a lot of persecution of the saints too. The scriptures talk about that. They said the scriptures say that when the Gentiles do reject the fullness of the gospel, that they're going to have all of the same persecution that we put upon the Jews. And I don't know what that all entails, but I think of the Holocaust that the Gentiles, um, put onto the Jews. There's a lot of other persecution that happened, uh, earlier by the time of uh, Christ's death. So anyway, there's a lot of stuff that's got to happen and will happen. And uh, yeah, so I, I don't know how I got on that, but yeah, the 201st <laughs> year hinge point, they've been talking about the hinge point. So I think that maybe that's significant. I don't know if we can say we're going to be exact parallel to the Nephite civilization, but maybe there's a parallel to some degree. Yeah, possibly. Uh, that's, that's an interesting point. And it, it's similar to, I know a lot of prophets have, and apostles have taught uh, the third Nephi parallel that essentially the book of third Nephi prior to Christ coming is similar to what will happen to us. And so you can look at kind of those events as well, right? They gather all the believers together to some degree, just like you were mentioning with the Holocaust cost to some degree. Um, and they were ready to, to kill them. And then Christ did come, right? Or at least his birth was made known to people, yeah. right? At the day and the night and the day. And, and anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see, there's going to be some, exciting things you know the return of the the lost tribes um <laughs> i mean we just it, it, it's it's going to be a lot but uh we will see some more heavy separation from the wheat and the tares that is for sure yeah and uh, it's not all bleak i think that's a that's a good point it's, there's some really exciting good stuff yeah 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 and that, that that's the beautiful thing about the gospel is even when life might seem dreary when the whole world uh, essentially is getting darker and darker and darker. Uh, there's still that light of Christ. That's there's still that hope that uh, really does shine through any and all darkness. Um, but I think what we will see is it's going to be harder to see in the next coming years uh, that that mist will be raised up slowly and surely. Uh, and those prophecies that have been made in old, new and, and modern scripture are truly going to happen. Uh, with you know mothers rising up to kill their daughters and and fathers dying um, with men with their hearts failing them and and so on and so forth there are so many things that, that will occur but the one thing that we do know will occur as well is that christ will return yeah yeah i like it and yeah that's a, <laughs> we we know the simple truth there and uh so yeah if you want to speculate it about it it's fun but don't get so caught up in just one one specific tangent of that speculation and theory from someone i think the brethren you know keep keep an eye out for what they're saying and do your own studies too but Amen. cool um last thing i i did find one little resource i'll throw in the show notes it's called ldslastdays.com and um i was uh i did like the way they put together this website it looks like they they divided by subjects the different resources that are out there. Um, some resources for Adam on Diamond, appearances of the Savior, times of the Gentiles, and other stuff. So check that out. Uh, I think they did a good job on the website. The only thing is right now it says it's not a secure website. So you gotta like go through the <laughs> dialogue buttons and say, No, I accept the risk. So I don't know what that's about. But <laughs> maybe they'll you, have you have it. been warned. <laughs> <laughs> it's the price you gotta pay to to know these esoteric truths. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Love it. Okay, well we'll move on to the, the next question. I'll ask it to you, Mike. Uh, the question is this why have so few known the true religion out of all the people and all the cultures that have lived on the earth throughout its history? All right. This is a question I really wonder. I still wonder this. And I have tried searching this online and can't find anyone talking about it. Can't find any blog posts or anything. And I don't know if that's my inability to articulate the question correctly. Maybe I'm not using the right words, but yeah, I'm just wondering basically why, why have the covenant people of God, the, the ones who have true religion and know Jehovah and worship him, why has that been such a small group of people? Um, to put this in perspective, like you know, during Noah's time, I guess, well, that was 100% of the population if the whole world was flooded, but those were only a few people. And after that, there are so many heathen nations that rise up. And almost always, I think pretty much always, the heathen nations outnumber the, um, the church of God. And I wonder, why is that the case? Um, during Moses's time, when the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, 
I think I read they estimate there were about 600,000 people in that group. And at the time on the earth, there were about 80 million people, I think. Um, if I did the math correct, I think it was about like 7% of the population of the world was the children of Israel. I may be wrong there. But anyway, it's a small portion of group of the people. And today, let's see, I have these numbers I was looking at earlier. Okay, so according to Pew Research, they say that, let's see, let me find it. Sorry, I didn't have this totally ready, but the results show Christians make up almost a third of the world's population today. So that's, that's not horrible. A third of the world is Christian, according to their research here. Um, but what about Latter-day Saints? Well, Latter-day Saints are just over 16 million people today who are members, not, you know, active or whatever, just members. And then there are 7.9 billion people in the world today. So that means Latter-day Saints only represent 0.02% of the world's population. And this is very, very few. So I'm just wondering why that is the case. I know that the scriptures say that, you know, the church of the, the Lamb of God, its numbers were few, their dominions were small upon the face of the earth, etc. But I, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I pretty much am just asking the question again and again, Kate, and I don't really know exactly the answer. Maybe you can start me off on some thoughts here and get us, um, as I say, the pot stirring so we can come to some ideas of why this may be the case. Okay. Yeah, uh, this is actually a really good question. Um, I, I will start in a different direction. Uh, to some degree, at least. I think first and foremost, you've already pointed out very clearly, there are so few people that have heard, let alone of Christianity, or more particularly of, of the restored gospel, right? Um, and of those people who have even had a chance to hear the gospel message, how many of those people have actually heard it in a, in a good fashion, in a way that they actually could have accepted it? Probably even less. Right. And so you're, you're talking about 16 million members. How many of those are inactive or less active or, or whatever? Probably a good majority of, well, maybe not a majority, but a, a large minority at very least. Um, and, and, and the sad fact of reality is, like you're saying, throughout all of history, all of the, what was it, 100, 100 billion, 110 billion people that have lived on this, this earth uh, have, have heard the gospel. Uh, let alone accepted it, right? Um, and and I, I think one of the interesting things to think about with this is is rather I don't know rather than asking why that's the case, uh, I think I think the the simple answer I would give is is it's just we are so wicked, right? I mean look at look at what we did to our God. Right? Mm. He, he he himself came and was rejected by his own people. Right. It wasn't like he went into some foreign land and and tried to get onto some island and they started shooting bows and arrows at him, you know, and throwing spears. That, that, that wasn't the case. It was his own people that crucified him. Um, and and truly, he was God. He was the son of God. Right. And, and I think that the simple answer is that that there are so few because we are so wicked um, that we're, we, we just. Genuinely, I mean, it, I don't think that that's hard to tell. I mean, we already talked about some of the the difficulties going on very vaguely, but but this earth is it, it's kind of crusty, as this new generation would call it. <laughs> but but, well, but I didn't even hear that word, man. I'm I must be old. <laughs> I know I only hear this stuff because of my sister. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> but 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 in reality, that that that's the simple fact of reality is is that we are so wicked that we don't even acknowledge someone's voicing of of the truth right if i went and preached on a street corner somewhere most people would just ignore you right you go back a few thousand years that would be a little bit different but but you, you know you do your facebook post or whatever it is your way of, of broadcasting to the world and and it's you'll you'll likely either get dismissed very quickly or have a huge antagonistic uh response to, to going out and and teaching the gospel essentially but, that, but that's been the case always at least on this earth and, and so I think one, one of the important things to recognize is while there have been so few that have accepted the gospel or even heard the gospel, the beautiful thing about the restored gospel of Jesus Christ is we know that every single person will have an opportunity to receive it and an opportunity to receive the celestial kingdom and celestial glory. All right. Now, that being said, I, I think that maybe I'll lead into one of our 
a different question just a little bit, but but it's important to recognize that, that if you go through DNC 76, that's the vision by by Joseph Smith and uh, Sidney Rigdon experienced that together. But um, throughout that vision, if, when you go through the different kingdoms of glory, I think it's like 84 and on somewhere from there. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize the different distinguishing um, requirements to enter into each kingdom, right? And uh, one of the distinctions between the celestial and the terrestrial is it is good people of the earth going to the terrestrial um, that had had an opportunity in this life and rejected it, right? So, so there is some line somewhere that God has drawn where there is an opportunity that you can accept or reject. And, 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 and the beautiful thing is it's always going to be your choice. Right, but to obtain celestial glory, you, you you can't reject the gospel, or at least you have to repent and accept it, I guess. And and how God works all that out, I I know He'll He knows uh, the light and knowledge that we have, but uh, we'll see. And now I'm leading off into a completely different question, but but simple answer for for this question is uh, we're just a wicked earth. Hmm. Yeah, that's a a sad but possible uh, true answer, the valid answer that's. Uh, you point out there and that man that's really sad what a bummer um you know when i start speculating about um alternatives here and you know i know this is somewhat of a dangerous path but you start to ask well couldn't god have done better here couldn't he have just oh why didn't he just send uh, tons of angels out of heaven in every single continent every 10 years throughout the whole world to every single people why doesn't he just send a group of angels you know every 10 years and so everyone knows it. And, you know, it's like you can't disbelieve uh, what, what's wrong with that. And, you know, I, you start to envision a world where there is no need for faith and God's just in your face showing you. And, uh, you know, pretty much, I don't know if that would, uh, obviously there are issues with that. And God is wise and has reasons for why the environment and system here on earth is as it is. And I think it allows for faith. It allows for doubt. It allows for opposition of opinion. And apparently those are crucial. So crucial that he wouldn't compromise, um, you know, these things in order to have those. So, yeah, I think that's that's interesting. You, you got something to Kate, or say on that, Kate? Yeah, yeah. Just just a quick comment on that. Uh, I, I've actually thought the exact same thing. I was like, why doesn't God just like speak from the heavens and say, hey, guys, I'm here, you know, like, yeah, like, like come on. <laughs> but yeah. But, but in all reality, the, the fact that it comes down to every single time is that for, first and foremost, God is bound by laws, right? The Book of Mormon teaches us multiple times. If he did such and such a thing or did not do such and such a thing, he would cease to be God, right? He, he is bound. He is God because he is exactly who he is. Um, and, and and I think that's that's at least part of it. The, the, the other part is the fact of, of agency that on this earth, we all have an equal opportunity to choose between Satan and to choose between God. If Satan overcame us beyond any amount of our power, we would not be held accountable for that. And if God did the same thing, we would not be held accountable. I guess in the other words, Satan is so to choose to, to submit to his temptations and submit to, to whatever he's trying to influence me. Then I would not have that power, then I wouldn't be held accountable for that because he overcame my power himself without me choosing to do that. And it would be the same thing going the opposite direction. And and for that reason alone, God God can't do that, right? He has to be bound by his laws and we have to choose him or, or, or Satan, right? Choose him or, or to not choose him, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. Um you know, but what my mind goes to is there have been times on the earth when people have sought the heavens so diligently and lived the laws during the times of Enoch or Melchizedek or um, whatever time where righteousness came down from heaven and the people were able to walk with God pretty much, you know, and, um, you know, we just talked about second coming a little bit. Well, in the millennium, the people will be so righteous that that is the reason why Satan will be bound. Satan will have no power among them because they're so righteous. So would you say there's no opposition there? Is that a dysfunctional system where faith cannot exist because Satan is bound in that system? Could that be right now? You know? Um, so I think 
yeah, it's, it's hard because I feel like the opposition is important, but at the same time, even though I know this isn't going to happen, we could uh, theoretically be so righteous this instant that we did have angelic visitations. Christ came down in our midst and Satan has no power over us. And that's how generations are raised, you know, in just righteousness. And maybe that's how other worlds are that aren't as wicked as us. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. That, 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 that's such a good point that we really have the opportunity to do what any righteous person has ever done and to receive the same blessings that any righteous person has ever enjoyed. Um, and, and, and some of those interesting facts of, of the millennium that, that Satan will be bound because of the righteousness of the people is a huge deal. And I think part of that is partially at least because the wicked will be burned at his coming, right? That there won't be that wickedness. And, and that's a lot easier uh, to, when you're surrounded with good people, it's a lot easier to be good. Right. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's going to be an, an interesting future, but ultimately when it comes down to it, um, just, just like we've said, you know, the, the reason why people just haven't had that gospel in this life is because they have that opportunity to choose. And I, I, I pray that God is much more merciful than I envision the eternities being uh, based off of what seems to go down. But, but scriptures do teach it over and over again, you know, straight is the path that leads to eternal life and narrow is the way and few be there that find it. Um, and so that, that being the case and, and whatnot, that the ultimate decision is for ourselves where we want to be today. If, if, if we want to turn into some celestial barbecue or not, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Um, one other thought I had, okay, just real quick on this. Um, when I was studying this, I forgot I came to this, this thought that could answer this question to some degree as well. But God works in small and simple ways. And if he can accomplish his works with his saints, even though they're small and few in number, um, even if they're the, the poor people, you know, he can accomplish it with weak tools and with weak means. Um, makes me think of the Alma 37 verse 6 that says, um, by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. And small means in many instances doth confound the wise. Also Romans 12 verse 9, I love this. Um, after Paul is talking about the thorn in his flesh that he asked to be uh, removed three times. And God says, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So I love that because God's strength is made perfect in weakness, meaning that he, you know, him accomplishing winning the game with the best equipment is not enough. He's even better than that. He's going to win the game with um, imperfect equipment. And so anyway, maybe that's one of the reasons, you know, God is able to still bring about his plan even though there's so much wickedness in the world and the saints are small in number, he's still able to bring it about. Amen. I love it. Okay. Well, anything else on this one you want to add before we jump into the next one, which is pretty related? Um, no, I, I think that's about it for me. Okay. So next question and last one is, does every religion on the world have truth or is it more of a black and white um, the church is either of God and it's of the devil. Only the Latter-day Saint church is true and everything else is of the devil. So, or is it somewhere in between? What's the balance there? Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, but in, in all reality, the, so uh, do, do does every religion have some truth? Well, probably most every religion. I, I, there might be one or two that just blatantly disregard all truth completely <laughs> Satan. <laughs> yeah but but even there they probably have oh, some i guess form. so <laughs> even there they probably have some forms of godliness where they do some sort of ritualistic prayer or something like that i don't True. know anyway i'll get into that too much but but um i don't know there, there's the famous saying i think uh, by joseph smith where he talks about you know take what you have and, and come and bring more right that mormonism essentially in of itself envelops truth itself so so find it from the methodist find it from the baptist find it from the presbyterians is kind of what he says and 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 bring it with you um and and that's what mormonism is mormonism is truth is what he talks about over and over and over again um, and i think to, to a real degree that is completely true uh, but you can also look at it on the on the other side to some degree right so so you, we specifically uh talk about hinduism or islam or or, or whatever um, and, and for example, just with Islam alone, right, they have a sacred book, uh, the Quran, which 
teaches similar things, right? They, they stem from the Abrahamic covenant to some degree. They, they have similar teachings and they teach for the most part, most of the, the general uh, population believe in, in, you know, good worship, right? Uh, to, to be good people and to do good and to worship God and to worship him above anything else. Now, sometimes that's taken in contrast, just like it is with, I think, any religion to some degree. Um, but, but the question I think comes down to is, is, well, ultimately, one of the main and most important differences between Islam and, and Christianity, for example, is that they deny Christ and his need and, and role in, in the eternal scheme of everything. And, and that definitely is not good. And so I think it's it's interesting to recognize that uh, one of the, the main things that Satan does in, on this earth is he teaches uh, the philosophy of men mingled with Scripture. And, and, and distinguishing that from true doctrine taught from God himself is very critical in this life. Hmm. Yeah. So I like that. I think that's true. It's, you know, obviously we can't say that every religion that's not Latter-day Saints is totally false. That's, that's an outrageous claim. Um, and especially since so many religions use holy writ that we use, you know, if we share the scriptures, how can they be totally wrong? Um, at least, you know, the Bible, Old Testament and stuff. Um, so, yeah, there's that. I, I like that answer. Um, I think there is some difficulty that comes in with uh, how do we interpret some of the scriptures some of them talk about the great and abominable church and, you know, Bruce R. McConkie and others have sometimes interpreted that to be the Catholic church, you know, he'll rail on them and uh, James Talmadge and stuff. And, you know, to their point, I think at some chronological point, the Catholic church was the great and abominable church, but maybe it's not, you know, a label that always associates itself with one denomination, but it, it rather just ominously, drifts and <laughs> looms over you know uh influencing some certain religions and i don't know and powers and politics but yeah so there's that um then there's also with islam there's a big problem that some people you know call them the antichrist because they they rob christ of his divinity that's the main difference and um and so that's a big problem but at the same time the church lately even they've been publishing lots of stuff trying to show how you can have peace peaceful relationships and find common ground with Muslims. And from my experience, Muslims are great people and we do have so much in common with them. But uh, yeah, what do we do about that? Like are Catholics, the great and abominable church are Muslims, the antichrist. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you answer that for us, Caden? <laughs> oh, thanks. Just setting it right up for me, huh? <laughs> if someone's going to make a mistake uh, saying something wrong, uh, okay. Here, All right. So, so he, he, I, I will speak um, with what I do know. I, I, I very rarely try to speak on anything that I don't know. If I don't, I'll just tell you I straight up don't know. Um, to, to me, I think that there's an important fact uh, that comes down to this. That, uh, for example, our, our our church, right, the Restored Church of Jesus Christ, teaches very prominently about the importance of authority, uh, especially uh, in relating to ordinances and covenants with God, right? That we are the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, right? And so this this is a very important and distinct teaching that needs to be upheld, right? And anyone who goes out and teaches good principles and, and good things, I think you can take it with... I, I think it's better to do good at very least than to do bad, right? Ultimately, when it comes down to cut and dry, good is good, bad is bad. But when you start mixing those little bad pieces with the good or, or good pieces with the bad and start teaching it as though it is perfect good or perfect bad, then that is not a good thing to do. Um, one of the biggest flaws, I think, and one of the main reasons, as far as I understand, that these churches right or or the church of the catholic church right as it has been called uh, at least at some point in time um has the great abominable church the reason for that in my opinion is that there is a huge sin about blindly leading the blind right to, to going out and, and pretending that you have the authority of god almighty um because you went to some school because you read some book of scripture uh, and now you can baptize and promise unto someone else that when they are baptized, they will have a remission of their sins. That is a huge sin. 
and, and you will be held accountable to that to the degree of light and knowledge which you have right that can is can i charge it, it, someone to forgive sin is that okay I'm just kidding <laughs> right but but, but but that's essentially what happens right to some degree is, is you see these these people who go to some you know theolo theological study society or, or whatever and they get some certificate from some guy who got it from some guy who got it from some guy who got it from some guy who started the, the church or, or who started whatever. And, and at no point do you see that God endowed them with the authority to teach his word, to promise what he has promised. Right. And, and that, 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 that's a critical thing. And I think that's where you start seeing this, this, the sin of, 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 of preachers, the sin, the sin of, of misleading the children of God. And um, that, that, that's, that's my take on that, at least, is that while surely other churches and other religions do good and are good, and I will never condemn someone for going out and, and healing someone, I will never condemn someone for going and, and giving food or, or serving another or whatever it might be, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ can only be found within the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And... Um, and that's that. That's a harsh reality. I mean, that, and that's where you start seeing the this divisiveness, this this almost an inability to go out and work together with each other. But to, like you had mentioned, the prophets and apostles today they teach very well about working together with others. And I think that's an important thing to to be able to work together with others, but also recognize those differences. Um, and that's kind of how this society and this life is going. And that there are others that might you know be prominent. Uh, and passionate about LGBTQ stuff or, or whatever it might be. Um, and sometimes you just have to respectfully disagree. Yeah. Well, good job answering Kate. I, the question's ever really hard. You guys might notice listeners that I just dig into it. Um, Redescribe the question, maybe in an even more uh, difficult way to answer it and then throw it on Kate and be like, so, what do you think? Kate? <laughs> so uh, anyway, you do a great job with that. <laughs> Be good if you ever want to get into politics. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, you did say something that I really like. The Pharisees and how, you know, the number one enemy of Christ that he really hit on, it was not the heathens. It was not the people, the Gentiles. It was the Pharisees and Sadducees who were, you know, at least derivatives of the same religion that he was preaching. And so it is not mutually exclusive that, um, you know, the great and abominable church could be a sect or division of Christianity, you know, which seems uh, really paradoxical, but not so if you think about and Christi you know, Christianity and the Catholic church. But because there were Pharisees, it doesn't mean that the Jews were, you know, practicing the law of Moses incorrectly. And just because, you know, the Catholic church members or leaders at some point may have participated in and represented the great and abominable church, it does not mean that the Catholic church is that church or the great and abominable church necessarily, um, especially today. So um, at least that's, that's my take on it. I, I know some Catholics very well. Um, some of my some of my very good friends who are one's Roman Catholic and other one's Eastern Orthodox, and they um, they feel much more relatable in their religion, the way they live it, than probably any other Christian person I've met. And like I said before, I've met many Muslims, hundreds of Muslims probably that I've talked to. Many of them been in their house on my mission, um, and they their their values and the way they live their faith feel much much more common than most Christians I've met. Um, especially, you know, some mainstream Christian who's non-denominational wearing a V-neck tight pants and, you know, plays guitar in his youth camp. You know, it's okay. We have a lot of common beliefs, but, uh, you know, that, that isn't as close to my religion as in, in many ways as the Muslim is. Um, so yeah, I think that's interesting. So, so yeah, truth can be found anywhere. Um, and I don't think that means that we should get so caught up on, exploring, I don't know. I feel like here's one thing, Kate, I don't know if you've seen this, but I feel like some people are searching for something that they could find in their own religion. Um, you know, they're members of the church or Christians and they, they go in and they become more obsessed with Eastern religions. You know, they want to find their Zen and inner chi and they, 
they're doing yoga and they get into balancing their chakras so much that they, it's like, they're not seeing what's right in front of them. You know, instead of reading the scriptures, they'd rather just pursue the curiosity of Eastern religions, um, Hinduism and stuff. And I, sometimes I wonder why I'm like, you got a, a great religion in front of you if you actually use it and dig into it. But instead they're so curious with some of those Eastern religions and I don't know, is that you think because there's, there is some truth in those Eastern religions um, and that's why they're pursuing it. Or is that a mistake? That's, that's one issue I've kind of found. Yeah. So that's that's actually a really good question. I'll, I'll follow that on two different paths. I think Uh, first and foremost, I think that it's okay to, to like, for example, the experiences I've had with other religions, I have found a lot of respect in certain aspects almost never in a hole for a certain religion, but, but there are certain aspects that I'm like, wow, that is incredible. Like for example, everyone, at least on my mission was passionately not fond of the Jehovah's witnesses because we'd often be mistaken for them. And uh, they actually weren't very friendly where uh, I served actually. And what, um, one of the, th- at least not to us, but uh, one of the things that I really respected was their devotion to going out and, and knocking doors to going and, and sharing their religion to to going to being sent out to teach and not to be taught uh, they were just a very zealous people and i i loved that you know and, and i and i i've seen in the catholic church there is such a high respect for for their rituals for for what goes on within uh, that sphere of their church and, and, and every religion I, I've just noticed there are some things for example Muslims very devout that I mean the amount of time the, the consistency and the amount of times they pray a day every single thing that goes on in some of these religions there are some things that are just incredible and I think that's what you need to take with you and implement into your lives and into your local wards and stakes and, and share that with others and and, and live that at very least. And so in, in that sense, I think that's okay to do. But when you're going out to, to try to find something to replace true religion, uh, to, to replace a, a true and, and powerful and, and, and efficable faith, I think that uh, you're going about it in the wrong way. That uh, true religion, you know, you, you, you don't need to go out to find some hidden mystery of the ancient Tibetan monks to... to come closer to God. You, you don't, right? Uh, Elder LeGrand Richards, actually, he talks about, I don't know which talk, but he, he shares some of his missionary experiences. And he says this to, to, to the same effect, at least he says, you know, after a debate he had had with someone, he's like, you know what, if you find a, a religion that is better than this one, which I profess, I will join your religion. And, and, he, and he shares what our religion is, right? If you have a religion better or cooler or, or more marvelous and miraculous and incredible and real than, than angelic ministers coming and, and bringing forth new sacred writ, revelation being had, visions being partaken of, books of scripture being sent out to the world, right? Missionaries leaving behind everything they have to go out and serve God for, for so long. Uh, apostles and prophets living today. And, and and he goes on and on and on about the incredible nature of the church. If you find something better than that, then I will join it, right? But but the simple fact of reality is you won't and you can't. And, and when it comes down to it, that our church is the true church. And while there are other aspects of different religions that I do respect and I admire and I try to implement in my life, it does not replace my religion because at the core, Jesus is at the head of salvation. It is because and by and through him that we can be saved. And so first and foremost, those who deny Jesus Christ deny the power that he has. Um, and those who go out and, and, and do those good things. I will respect those good things they do and I will respectfully disagree, right? I will let them go out and worship how, where, or whatever they might and and I will do the same and I hope that they would let us do the same. And, and I think that's what it comes down to is we should be advocates for Christ. We should be advocates for the restored gospel and try to share that in a passionate and powerful way. But we should never, worlds without end, force someone to receive the gospel. Right, going back to our last last question, there are so few people that have received the gospel because they've had that opportunity, at least to some degree, uh, to receive it or to reject it. Hmm. Yeah, well, that that sounds right. Um, so, so I think it, you know, it's not.
religions, um, as long as we're not um, replacing what we have um, with it. And so, yeah, that, that seems to be the right conclusion. I, I don't know exactly what my agitation was. I, I can't really put my thumb on it, my finger on it. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I could talk a lot longer on all the interesting, fascinating things with different religions out there. And I don't want to lead anyone to misinterpreting what I'm proposing. I, I don't think that it's bad to pursue Eastern religions or any religion um, for the sake of interest. Um, I, I've looked into many. I'm actually, I'm obsessed with philosophy and other religions. And um, I think, you know, there are lots of them out there, like Zoroastrianism. If you haven't heard of that, I mean, there's there's this stuff out there and you can find parallels with um, other religions and our religion and it's it's very fascinating so um and muslims and um catholics i I think we do well and our our current beliefs would be complemented by an exploration of those those religions and and eastern ones um buddhism and hinduism i think they're interesting hinduism it's pretty weird i (laughs) i'm sorry but uh, anyway there there is some stuff there are seven chakras well there are you know seven's a sacred number so maybe they stumbled upon that correctly and who knows anyway um yeah so i should probably stop rambling before i offend people who are <laughs> all of our hindu listener listeners <laughs> <laughs> all thousands of them right <laughs> yeah no, and, and that's the thing is I'm not I'm not saying that it's not a good thing or it won't be beneficial to to find things from other religions, but I guarantee you, uh, if you're going out there to try to replace your religion, uh, you're you're not going about it in the right way. Because um, because for example, I mean, there's tons of scholars, right? Hugh Nibley uh, is the first one that comes to mind that you know go mm. deep into Egyptian or every religion as far as I know, and 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 do so well and bring out good gems that add mm. to what we already have. True. Cool. Well, I like that. Um, okay. Well, I, I honestly don't have anything to add that, to that. I think that was, that was pretty helpful and, and good to, to hear your take on that. And I think refine, re- refine my perspective on it. So anything else you want to add to that topic, Kate, or any others or final words? Uh, no, that's just about it. The gospel's cool guys. Yes, explore it and everything out there. We've got so much. Stop uh, binging stuff on YouTube too much and dig into the the religion and um, scriptures we have and all this fun stuff. Hope we're kind of stimulating you guys and getting you thinking on these topics. Um, obviously, Kate and I, you know, we love this stuff, and I'm sure many of you guys do too if you're listening to this. But I think the more we talk about it, the more exciting it can be. The more people you hear talking about it, the more your mind is ready to receive it and to ask more questions and dig into more topics. So hope you guys love it as much as we do. And um, we'll have another episode for you guys next week. Thanks for listening.